Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 14 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview David O'Rourke, the founder and CEO of Projects Assured, a management consultancy that grew 159% last financial year to do over $18 million in annual revenue. We discuss how an 11-year career in the military set him up for hard work, discipline and focus needed to succeed in the world of business and how he transitioned to civilian life as a professional services entrepreneur. We cover how he attracts and retains the best people and wins the most interesting projects, how they differentiate themselves from big four consultancies, and why being based exclusively in Canberra and only serving clients in Canberra has allowed for the rapid growth and success of his firm. If you want to work for the fastest growing management consultancy in Australia, check out projectsassured.com.au, that's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-S, A-S-S-U-R-E-D dot com dot A-U. So I'm here with David O'Rourke, uh, the founder and CEO of Projects Assured. So welcome to the podcast, David. Thanks, Derek. So can you describe what you were doing before you started Projects Assured? So what did you study? What types of organizations or jobs were you doing previously? Yep. So I started out my working career as an army officer. So I went, on, I went to university in Canberra and then went off to the Royal Military College Duntroon, commissioned in for the Royal Australia Engineers and I had 11 years as an Army officer and, and during that time I learned a lot about project management and also obviously military combat and those sorts of things but picked up some pretty good training and sort of fundamental skills in, in project delivery. Once I got out of the Army, uh, within Canberra I got into the local consulting market I actually established a firm back in 2002 with another colleague. We grew that firm to about 40, both in Melbourne and Canberra. And um, I divested my interest in that business back in 2009. Then set up Projects Assured, and that was just me and a couple of sub-consultants doing some work in the Canberra market. I then met with a colleague of mine I'd known for at least a decade um, back in early 14 and he and I got talking about growing another firm again and in the end ended up buying half of Projects Assured in February 15 and we kicked off what is now known as uh, Projects Assured but obviously now a much larger organisation. While I studied, um, I did uh, computer science as an undergraduate degree and I also picked up a number of sort of engineering 
postgraduate qualifications along the way, plus a master's in business and technology through University of New South Wales. Okay, so you said you spent a decade, was it, in the army? Eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah. And so then how did you sort of make the decision after, you know, quite a good foundation there to go into the consulting space? Oh, it was a pretty logical transition. I'd always, throughout my military career, I, I didn't think I was going to be spending 20 or 30 years in the Army. I always thought at least 10. And um, I've actually encouraged people to, to do some military service as a good start to any, any career, but we could perhaps talk about that later on. Um, I was always in, intent on getting out and doing ICT project management. And rather than do that, as, say, a public servant in a department, I thought the most logical choice would be to get out into the commercial sector. So my initial role was with uh, EDS, a large IT outsourcing company now, is owned by Hewlett-Packard, or HP. But that was my first foray into um, project delivery outside the military. Okay, and I think that's an interesting point. You mentioned about sort of starting and building a foundation of a career in the military because I think it's something that's not talked about as much. Um, did you were your parents sort of in the military, or how did you sort of start as um, no, no, looking towards really, the military? I, I, certainly, my parents weren't involved. Um, I was actually in the Army Reserve whilst I was going through university, and that's what sparked the interest in potentially doing military studies and, and moving into the regular army. Um, I, look, I, I saw it as a great way to get a great, a good education, uh, to grow some leadership skills and other management skills. And uh, I'm certainly encouraging my children to do the same. I've got a son who's interested. He's at the age of 17 now and he's keen to, to go on and do, uh, you know, get into the military initially and then see what happens after that. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that have gone on to do quite well post-military service. I think what it instills is a strong work ethic, discipline, um, and they tend to, to weed out those that... Um, intellectually can't sort of cope with, with high-pressure situations, so mm. uh, you've got to have some smarts about you to become an officer in the military. And so um, if you get through that and you do well, um, I've, I've seen a lot of people get out around the 10-year mark and then go on to have a great entrepreneurial or, or other careers in, in senior executive positions in big organisations or even some you know, medium and small organisations too. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting perspective, maybe, which um, isn't covered as much in sort of the mainstream. But like you said, from your own experience, it's definitely a good foundation and lots of people use that to leapfrog into um, the business world. My work. And, and so what was it like? So, again, it was quite a while ago that you first started out running a consultancy. Um, coming from a very, I imagine, quite structured um, military background, what was it like sort of being a small consultancy and, and figuring it all out for, on your own? Yeah, I was with a business partner, and that was the, the beauty of having a business partner. I think we could both lean on one another. Uh, both of us were ex-military um, in the early days. My previous firm was called Richardson O'Rourke. Um, so we both had the structure there and the discipline. Um, we did apply that to the business, so we, we weren't um, big risk takers. We were quite measured and slow and steady around the growth. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily recruit a whole lot of people ahead of having the work available to them. We try to get the balance right where we were pretty close to winning the work or we're fairly certain we're going to win pieces of work and we bring people on you know, in, around the same time as that work dropping. Um, yeah, but we were, we were definitely entrepreneurial. If you look at some of my colleagues 
they've they've done things in a more risk averse way. Um, we you certainly need to take some risk, but we were fairly measured in the way we did that. Yeah, and is most of the co- consulting in sort of that IT project management space or other? Yeah, most of it is. Yeah, yeah, most of it is, um, and more purist management consulting, advisory around organisational design, cultural change, um, and and back then, and, and certainly in the projects assured like our new business um, enterprise architecture and technology was at the forefront of much of what we do. Yeah, and so projects assured grew one hundred and fifty nine percent. In um, the previous financial year, growing the revenue to nearly eighteen million and making you the eighth fastest growing new business in Australia and being on the Fin Review Fast uh, One Hundred list. So, what was sort of the obviously the company's only a few years old, so it's been growing sort of fast the whole time. But sort of what um, did you say? So, would you say help drive this rapid growth? Yeah, a couple of things. So I think the market in the federal government in Canberra is strong, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of demand for professional services, um, and there has been for the last four or five years. So you've got to have a market that's there. There's no, no two ways about that. Um, we've been growing faster and um, probably more sustainably than some other competing firms in the market. It's hard to put a finger on exactly what that is, but it's certainly a combination of having a good, strong organisational culture that values people. If people is at the heart of what we do. I mean, our balance sheet walks out the door at 5.30 every night and we hope it comes back again at 8.30 in the next morning. <laughs> so you've got to have good quality people. You've got to support and nurture them and we make a huge effort to do that. You've also got to win interesting and challenging work and so there's a lot of work we if we get a sense that it's not going to stimulate our staff, then we won't take it on. And equally, you've got to deliver to superior quality standards. So those three things, supporting and nurturing our staff, delivering or winning the best work you can and delivering it to the highest quality standards are the three components of our mission. And they are the three things that we live and breathe every day. And I think that's at the heart of setting us apart from some of our competing organisations here, particularly here in Canberra and the Canberra market. Did you find it was sort of hard competing with, you know, the sort of big four um, in the consulting space and in, in the government market, which often, I imagine, looks for sort of larger suppliers? Or how did you sort of, yeah, from uh, a talent point of view as well as winning projects? Yeah, so we're in two markets. We're in the market for the best talent we can get and secondly, for the best work we can get. And so, um, yes, it has been a challenge competing with those larger organisations Um to get good people, but we've actually recruited quite successfully, not necessarily gone directly to those organisations and tried to grab staff from there, but people have left those organisations wanting to join a firm like ours because of its culture, mm-hmm. um, because of its agility, and um, and the fact that uh, clients are telling them that we're getting the same or better calibre of people through firms like Projects Assured at half the price. So there's a real value for money question that's coming through from frank discussions with clients too, and that's helping win work, but also um, attract good people from from those organisations. And how are you able to sort of compete at that price? Is it less sort of overhead and brand and sort of being just smaller and, and more agile, or what's the biggest sort of yeah, pricing no, difference? So smaller overheads, presumably. Um, 
and uh, yeah, and just a willingness to accept a good profit and uh, not necessarily chase mega profits necessarily. Mm. And when you're experiencing this rapid growth, you know, going from sort of 11 to 18 million in 12 months, and again, it's a service business, so you've got to hire a lot of people very quickly and skill them up and onboard clients and projects. What was sort of the best and worst parts of that rapid growth? Oh, a lot of a lot of interviews. Uh, we've interviewed, um, and uh, in particular, my business partner Greg Sly, he's he does a lot of the initial interviews. He certainly was there for a while, so he's done, oh, look, hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of interviews. So he gets a good idea of the candidate quality that's coming through. He gets a great idea of market expectations around salaries. Um, but he, that, that fills the diary up quite a bit, but we've, we've remained true to that in that Greg um, is, I think, the best um, judge of skills and experience and cultural fit in the organisation, so he's maintained a role in that recruitment process. Now, I, I come in at the second interview stage, and my role is to assess the professional fit of candidates, whereas Greg's more focusing on cultural fit at the initial stage. And um, so the challenges are that we know we need a lot of staff, so the diary fills up a lot with recruitment activities, but but we want to meet everyone on the way in. That's been critical to our success. We, we know every staff member. We've got about 130 odd staff now and all of them have met um, Greg and I on the way through. So that's really important. We want to maintain that as we continue to grow. Um, again, it's just been another cultural dimension that the staff really appreciate. Um, yeah. yeah, but look, you just got those challenges of growing really quickly, defining policies and procedures. Um, Make sure you maintain that one-on-one connection with the staff. As you get bigger, that's been they've been by far the, the most challenging aspects. Yeah, because I imagine it would be a, a quite a big culture shock, so to speak, for someone to be interviewed by the owner of the business. Whereas in a big four, you know, they're going to only be speaking to sort of the HR and then maybe their manager or the partner once. But to actually meet and interview, I mean, both of the owners of the business would be a yeah. big selling point and a point of difference, even in your hiring, because you're a lot more invested absolutely. than a, an average sort yeah. of HR person in a very big corporate. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a competitive advantage for us at the moment, for sure. Yeah, so when I was going through the 100 fastest growing companies, I noticed that four were based in Canberra out of the 100. Mm. Um, which is actually more than um, outside of Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. It's more than all the other states combined. Um, And so given the population on a sort of per capita basis, it's actually the highest number of fast growth companies in any state or territory in Australia. Um, And so people talk about selling to consumers, selling to business, but they very rarely talk about selling to the government. You mentioned before there's a lot of federal sort of spending and investment. Is this a a sort of overlooked opportunity for entrepreneurs to provide products and services to the government? Oh, look, I don't think it's overlooked. I think most people realise that the government of any persuasion um, needs to invest in a whole range of things. Um, This government... The coalition government has has always favoured leaning on industry a bit more um, to help mm-hmm. deliver the things they need to get done. So it has been good for professional services organisations. Um, there's no doubt about it. I think um, Labor has made some noises that they'll continue things along these lines because 
the, the skills are required to enhance the capability and capacity of the public sector. So it's, it, you know, most organisations, I don't know whether entrepreneurs per se, but certainly large firms that are national and have a presence around the country, that Canberra would, would have to be one of the markets that they would, um, would seek to, uh, to get involved in, for sure. So it is a buoyant market, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why uh, firms have been doing quite well. And, but do you see more of a sort of large firm presence, like you said, sort of selling to the government and they've got the scale and they sort of have an office in every city versus sort of new businesses and people starting their own sort of businesses like yourself to service the government? The thing about government is they don't appreciate um, extended periods of where resources could fly in and out from, say, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, mm. come in spend a couple of days, head off and come back and do it again. They, they really appreciate the, the local understanding. Um, now, there are some um, parts of the federal government that are outside of Canberra, and that's, it probably applies in that geography, but the, our, our clients do appreciate you being working very closely with them five days a week, not sort of on and off planes and sort of doing it with, with people that don't understand their needs as closely as, say, if, you, if you've been in this market for some time. So um, I think to do well here, you've got to be based here and, and employ people that understand the way the market works. And so from a staffing point of view, are, are you hiring from all over Australia and having them relocate to Canberra or a mix of that as well as people who are already in Canberra for work or for study? Yeah, well, our, I could answer that by letting you know what our vision is. Our vision is two things. To be Canberra's management, uh, premier management consulting firm and Canberra's best place to work. So you note the word Canberra appears twice there. Mm. And we are very much focused on delivering services to federal government based out of Canberra. Um, and as a result, most of our people we hire are from Canberra. There are some people that we've hired over the journey that have moved into Canberra from interstate, but we don't have anyone that sort of commutes from anywhere else to come in to do work here. It's um, very much delivered from people on the ground here. Yeah, and do you sort of, I mean, are you mainly hiring sort of young people that are out of university and, and looking to get into consulting or a mix of that as well as ex-industry people or ex-government people? Or? Oh, it's, it's, it's a blend of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we love the youthful enthusiasm that comes through with some graduates out of university. We've got plenty of those coming in. Um, but we have tended throughout our, our journey to hire more mid to senior level people that can pretty much hit the ground running, get in and deliver for clients uh, quickly without a lot of training and so on. So I think we'll continue that trend to bring in mid to senior people as opposed to an army of graduates out of university. But we do need a blend of all of that moving forward. And do you see that as being another sort of point of difference compared to the usual yeah, sort of management consulting model? It is, definitely. Um, we often hear clients criticising some of the competitors around how junior their staff are. Mm. Um, and uh, I think look to us for more seasoned professionals and that's, that's I think, proving to be a competitive advantage for us. Yeah, so it's a, definitely a few key things you've mentioned, the, the hiring the more senior people, hiring people based in Canberra and really committing your business and your client focus to Canberra, not being sort of a national or global consultancy that just happens to be everywhere. 
and um, yeah, and also like you said, understanding the market, not just the people that are from there as well. Yeah. And, and so speaking about sort of entrepreneurship and business in general, um, obviously you're more sort of government focused, but I'm sure you interact with a lot of other business owners and entrepreneurs just in general. Um, what do you think sort of entrepreneurs are doing well in Australia and maybe where could we um, improve? Oh, I think within Australia we have the ability to uh, break down the barriers between sort of servant and master. I think we, we go into, certainly from my experience in looking at professional services entrepreneurs here in Canberra, I think most colleagues in my field are, are really good at establishing a real peer-to-peer relationship with clients and a real trusted advisor mm-hmm. status where, um, you know, you don't view them as someone overly senior to you and you're subservient. I think you go in as peers and um, those that are doing well are able to establish those trusted relationships really quickly. I can't really speak for purest ICT firms or sort of firms outside of my professional services figure. Yeah, no, I think that's one thing we're doing quite well. Yeah, and uh, and that might be a cultural thing. I think um, with Australians, it's we perhaps have a less hierarchical structure mm-hmm. in our society, and that might uh, help us to strike up those peer to peer relationships pretty quick, quickly with with those that are willing to uh, to bring us on as as consultants. Yeah, and you. Um, so you mentioned before you've got a seventeen-year-old son, and so, so what advice would you give either your son or, or someone else, maybe who's in that sort of eighteen to twenty-year-old stage of their life, where they're sort of a fork in the road and an infinite infinite amount of choices on what they're going to do in the future? Um, looking back, I guess at your own career and your own life experience, what advice would you sort of give someone who's eighteen to twenty and sort of not sure where they want to go or what they want to do, and but maybe they're interested in business and starting a company? Yeah, so I, what I'd do is encourage them to go into university mm-hmm. and, and and get a degree. Um, I think that's really important to, to later in life demonstrate that you've done the critical thinking that comes with um, graduate study. I think if you, and, and I certainly was in this boat when I was going through university, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do, um, per se, when I was studying. I thought I wanted to be an engineer or a computer scientist, but in the end I really haven't done much of that at all. Um, but getting on and just doing graduate studies for two, for three or four years, I think, regardless of how it pans out later on, is quite useful. Um, if you don't have any idea, literally, about what you're going to do, a gap year wouldn't hurt. Um, go out and get some work experience, freshen the mind a little bit, and then get into some study. But certainly going on and doing some study, gap year or not, would be really beneficial. And, and if, you, if you've got that entrepreneurial flair, already do a business degree. Um, you don't have to specialise in, in any discipline. But getting out and starting a company straight away, straight out of uni, is not easy either, I think. And I can only really speak for professional services entrepreneurs. Mm. You've got to have some knowledge and some grounding in actually management and, and leadership. And so having a career in line management for five, ten years before you then getting into running your own business it's not such a bad thing at all. In fact, I think it's it's worked really well for me, and uh, and I've seen it work very well for a lot of ex-military colleagues and others that are in business now have have um have been line managers in the public service, or they've been 
within corporate organisations and learnt how to interact as a manager and a leader within a firm, then if you apply that to consulting, I think you, you truly have much greater empathy with what the clients are going through and are able to, using your own experience, apply some of the thinking and the, the skills that you have uh, born out of that experience earlier on. Yeah, and so you mentioned um, the Army before and obviously you've had a lot of experience there. Are there any sort of maybe misconceptions that you would want to clear up to someone who's in that sort of young age bracket and they're interested in the Army but you know they hear different opinions from someone who's had the first-hand experience? Is there anything you'd want to sort of say or speak to on that? Oh, yeah, I think for females, um, the Army has changed a lot. In fact, the, the military... All three services have changed a lot and there's a lot more opportunity for for females mm-hmm. um, to aspire to reach senior levels. Um, I think the days of bastardisation and those sort of abusive things that used to go on um, well before my time and they were around a little bit while I was, I was still sort of going through the lights of the Royal Military College done through, mate. Those are over now. Um, I think people can safely enter the military without... The, the threat of um, of those sorts of things happening, so it's a far more open and uh, gender balanced organisation, far more accepting of uh, young females rising to senior ranks within the military, which is fantastic. Um, so there's that gender aspect, but I think um, the, the the army can be difficult. Uh, the it's not it's not easy. Um, training to go to war and, and actually then going off to war itself. Mm-hmm. So those aspects, um, they're not for everyone. But um, what I would say is joining the military and then going on to, um, to carve out a career in that space provides tremendous training opportunities, tremendous leadership skills and experience, which will stand you in good stead for the rest of your life, not to mention the discipline and the, the focus that's required by all members of the military whilst you're serving and take their way with you beyond that time too. Mm. And so just one final question before we wrap up. What does the sort of future look like for Projects Assured in the next, you know, five to ten years and what are your longer-term goals with it? Yep, so we, we had an exciting announcement uh, we made in July this year where we, our firm was acquired by a company called DWS Limited. They're an Australian stock exchange listed organisation um, they've been around for 30 years um, they acquired us as their Campbell present so we've joined the DWS group um, we're super excited about, about that. What that what this acquisition is allowing us to do is continue to trade as projects assured same ADN, same bank account same leadership structure um, no change to our staff employment agreements, anything like that so Greg and I have We'll continue on as Executive General Manager of Projects for Short for at least the next five years. So we've signed up to that as a minimum. And uh, it's really just business as usual for us. So we've been able to um, realise some of the value we've generated as entrepreneurs, but we're committed to cracking on for at least the next five years. Greg and I are both in our late 40s, and we couldn't imagine, you know, pulling up stumps and retiring after five years and playing golf every day for I mean, it's not us. So we're going to continue working. We love working with the team that we've grown and me personally, I can see myself after five years renegotiating uh, a, a role with 
with DWS that continues on. I don't know what that will look like, but it certainly doesn't mean stopping working all of a sudden after five years. So that's been tremendous to know um, as one of our staff. So, you know, if you were, as we announced it, for them to hear that Greg and I were going to kick on for another at least five years was, was really good for them. That's longer than our firms existed. So uh, it's been really uh, comforting for them to know that the senior leaders are committed and uh, hanging around for a lot longer yet. Yeah, and I think it's a really fascinating success story because you hear the media often get sort of saturated with tech companies and they grow and they IPO and uh, rapidly scale up. But again, a, a classic sort of well-run um, professional services firm that grows quickly, hires well, delivers well on projects and again, still is very financially successful in IPOs is um, yeah less common, but, but again, a fantastic sort of business story and um, an excellent achievement. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that, Derek. You know, it's been, uh, it's been fun and we've got a lot of funding to go yet. Uh, excellent. And are there any final words or comments you'd like to leave the audience with? No, no, I think uh, I'd encourage anyone to get out there and have a crack, um, try to grow a business if you're that way inclined. It, it, it is not, it's not easy, though. You do have to burn the candle at both ends, particularly when you're starting out. Um, you've got to have a clear focus and a strong work ethic. And I think if you've got those things, um, you still have a chance of succeeding. But, you know, we can't underestimate the fact that there needs to be a strong market demand for what you deliver mm. as well. So when you, if you've got those elements of the formula all lined up together, then you'll stand a strong chance of success, that's for sure. Excellent. Thanks so much, David, for coming on the podcast. No worries at all. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404 689 897. Thank you.